Okay. Well, Chad, are you ready to record your last episode as a regular co-host of Breaking Badness? Mm-hmm. Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss accounting for propaganda. Next up, ransom where purported extortion results in arrest. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 105, recorded on December 6th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Ain't going down till the pond comes up. LaBelle. With me, co-host Chad. Comrade tweets a lot. Anderson. (laughs) And last but not least, Tim threats our ubiquitous Helming. Hello, gang. Is it ubiquitous or ubiquitous? Ubiquitous. Mm, Ubiquitous. 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 Have you seen that YouTube channel that's specifically um, (laughs) how to mispronounce folks' names or just things, nouns in general? And my favorite is Jahuihui (laughs) Fahuinas. And I feel like that would be... I think I don't even... Oh, is that... Joaquin Phoenix? It is. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen that, but I feel that I would like it. Um, I'd, I'd like like that with a crossover of them just reading names of things at Ikea, because then it's always kind of off anyways. Yeah, you wouldn't really know in that case yeah. whether they were doing them right or wrong. Uh-huh. And it might not matter. <laughs> Well, something that feels devastating to share, but needs to be shared, is about to happen. And I'm going to point to Chad on that. To plaid, Chad. (laughs) Yes, listeners, this will be my final episode as a co-host of Breaking Badness. So I'm moving on from Domain Tools. (laughs) Not approved. (laughs) You did not run this by no. Tim and I. We do not Say accept. It isn't so, nope, nope. Tell your mm-hmm. tell your bosses uh, it's all off. Mm. There will be no hanging chads on Breaking Badness. <laughs> Wait, you guys are going to hang me? Oh God! <laughs> oh, no, no, we're not. She said we're not going to. Yeah, don't yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, Chad. Everything will be just but fine. We're very, very sad. We are. We are sad, Chad. It's hard to go. It's bad. It's bad, Chad, when we're sad. <laughs> we feel that we've been had. We're not wearing plaid. You'll have a serious lack of um, hums and general dismay at puns. Wookie sounds. <laughs> hmm. One for the road, Chad? <laughs> That's really hard. I'm seriously <laughs> parched over here. <laughs> What's a Wookie with laryngitis sound like, do you think? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hmm. 
that's right. <laughs> it, it just sounds like a person. <laughs> <laughs> if, if Chewie had had laryngitis all through it, his lines would be like, ah, run out. Nah, nah. Don't go in there. <laughs> oh, man. We've just uncovered something very important about Star Wars, I think. The Star Wars extended universe needs to know all about this. Yeah, you're about to get sued by Disney. <laughs> I won't be here to deal with that. But <laughs> George Lucas will be mm-hmm. on this show uh, next week. <laughs> Not in a friendly yeah. way. <laughs> Hey, uh, Tom, thanks. Uh, see if you can distract him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think uh, T. Hanks so will care about us anymore without Chad. No, 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 he won't. We just want, we need him to distract uh, George Lucas so he doesn't sure. come on here and jump ugly with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I might argue before we get into too much trouble and before we start crying on the recording of this podcast, which is a real possibility. Um, we should we should probably talk about the news for the week. What do you think? One last time for Chad. Yeah, after this, cybersecurity is done. Nothing happens anymore. It's solved. Oh, I was thinking about the country of Chad. Oh. Not, yeah, yeah. awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Chad. It's all for you. Um, well, let's let's talk about accounting for propaganda. So last week, Twitter announced the permanent removal of more than 3,400 accounts linked to governments of six countries running manipulation or spam campaigns. So Chad, based on the fact that you were emotionally manipulating Tim and I by being awesome on the podcast and leaving, um, <laughs> would love your opinion on this. Uh, social channels... I'm assuming, and I've seen in the news, dump large amounts of accounts on a fairly regular basis, probably many more than 5,000 um, at a time. So what makes the the dumping of these 3,400-ish accounts so very newsworthy? Certainly. So it's been a while since we talked about misinformation and disinformation on the podcast. So I want to select this article to chat about that specifically. When talking about disinformation with family over the like Thanksgiving vacation, I noticed that most people are convinced that Russia is the only country doing these kinds of disinformation operations. While the Russian state-backed groups are prevalent, this dump shows that Russia isn't the only country paying organizations to run these ops for them, right? In fact, in this report, we've got Mexico, China, Tanzania, uh, Tanzania, (laughs) sorry, Uganda, and uh, Venezuela. Uh, So that's just quite a big spread of countries, you know, uh, on every single continent here. Like, well, except for Asia, I guess, but, uh, oh wait, never mind. That's China. Wow. Antarctica. Can you please yep. cut that out? Yep. I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> I meant to say Europe. Uh, <laughs> from the people who brought you the Tasmanian devil, the Tanzanian devil. <laughs> oh man. You know, it's a devil. good thing I'm leaving. Cause I've just completely forgotten how to be intelligent at all. Uh, how to geography. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this is ignoring the elephant in the room that, that uh, Canada is the amount of disinformation that Canada's it, spreading. Aren't they aren't they the biggest? It's ones? true, yeah. The uh the Maple Syndicate is is huge. They've made us believe Justin Bieber is an American. I think that's their biggest victory. They caused they caused nickelback albums to be sold. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Wow, we we threw some serious shade in the first few minutes of this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> actually, we we love Canada, so 
we we welcome your big fan misinformation and disinformation it, it's actually a lively diversion from the depressing dystopia that we live in most of the yeah, time. Yeah, I like America's hat. It's fine. <laughs> well, Judd, you you just mentioned a few countries and continents. I'm just curious if there are any surprises of those listed and not listed in the account dumps. And you've touched on this a little bit with um, your your holiday family time and in that regard. But I'm just curious to hear your your reflections. Yeah, so mostly, uh, you know, what we're what we saw were um, state voices inauthentically amplifying, you know, their objectives. Uh, this is what the Twitter research team really looks for. Um, and we see multiple offenders, right? You've got like the IRA, uh, which is the internet research agency, not the IRA that, uh, was caused for the troubles. Um, well, there were lots of causes for the troubles, but, uh, the IRA that was responsible for a lot of the 2016 election disinformation discourse. Um, so we can learn a lot from looking at what those, uh, governments choose to push. And that's where some of these surprises come up. So um, all of these had kind of interesting bits to them. The IRA specifically targeting Central Africa with pro-Russian viewpoints was certainly a surprise to me and shows uh, their likely investment in the region, which I knew there was some, but I didn't realize it was, uh, you know, as big as it was, I guess. Um, and then the PRC's investment toward the Uyghur population cover-up is par for the course, right? Um, but it's odd to see accounts from the PRC specifically pumping a company, um, like a private company, well, as private as companies get in the PRC. So I was a little surprised um, also about them removing the Mexico public health accounts, but maybe there's something I didn't understand there um, about uh, the public health messaging that was coming out of that. And then, um, you know, Tanzania and Uganda, also intriguing because I just wouldn't expect the resources for those kinds of operations. Um, but maybe that's a little bit of a weird bias on my part, because really, you just need one social media guy with a phone and a lot of free time. So uh, maybe that's not as much of a surprise as it should be. Last, of course, you know, Venezuela pushing things, not a surprise. We've seen that before. But what I did find interesting is that Twitter banned a specific app from Venezuela that they had built for pushing um, their abuse. And that app was called Twitter Patria, uh, Patria being the Spanish word for homeland. Uh, or maybe it's Patria. I don't know. I've been speaking too much Italian. But uh, so all of those were kind of had little surprises in them. Uh, that's what's interesting whenever Twitter does one of these dumps. I think that's pronounced Patreon. Patreon, yeah, yeah. Follow me on that. Uh, I'm just mispronouncing everything, just butchering languages, and completely unaware of where countries are on continents for this final episode. Did, did you uh, want to put in a, a pitch for your OnlyFans also, or just yeah, yeah, yeah? Um, I it's I sit there and I review different kind of oscillating fans, uh, you know, fans for computers. Um, all kinds of fans that's fantastic and would we be on there because we're your biggest fans yeah yeah definitely review the uh each of the fans all five of them of uh, our <laughs> podcast we'll have to see if your parents are available um to take that interview though i think you know tim and i might be easier to get a hold of i'd say oh i said my fans yeah so oh yeah well i'm including your parents in that five just, yeah, just, yeah. They, this is coming from a very with you on that. deeply bitter place. We're just going out on a limb here. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're pretty sure we met your dad. We're, yeah. we're pretty sure we know. Your dad's actually oh, taking right. your place on the podcast. I don't know if he communicated that to you. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, his sense of geography is even worse than mine today. So. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. He's ready. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I, I something I'm curious about, Chad, is do you think that this is an impactful approach to curbing misinformation or propaganda or manipulation, as the article claims? Absolutely. You know, we've already seen what deplatforming can do with people like Donald Trump. It works. Plain and simple. And I hope with Twitter's new post Dorsey CEO, you know, um, I forget their name already. Uh, I know they were CTO for a while. Uh, oh, gosh. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> we see them more aggressively targeting these groups, blasting information around the internet and inauthentically amplifying it. I've got no problem if it's real retweets, you know, people actually reading these things. But when it's shadow accounts run by an organization, some developer pushing thousands of accounts and retweets and these networks, uh, it becomes suspicious and it does influence society. So these removals certainly have an effect in stopping uh, that spread of information and the appearance that there's more support for it than really there is. And in your experience, how difficult is it to actually comb through and identify those accounts? Because I imagine that this was a manual lift by um, particular Twitter employees. But uh, I know that you've spent a lot of time identifying those shadow accounts and ones that you could probably, um, what is it, that Supreme Court justice who's famous for saying that um, you can't define it, but you know it when you see it. Um, Just going to keep this suitable for work. Is that how you feel about these Twitter accounts? Uh, You know, it's funny. I think it's really easy for native speakers to spot these accounts, especially when it's a foreign group influencing. Um, And it's probably even easier, you know, once they've been reported to Twitter employees for them to parse through a ton of what reported tweets and decide which ones are, are fake and being incorrectly amplified. I think the hard part comes when you're combing this entire fire hose hunting for these tweets programmatically in every language. Uh, There's a nuance, local dialects, slang, uh, expletives that aren't maybe defined. You know, there's there's, uh, ways that uh, young kids are inventing new words that, you know, may not crop up in the same way. I would assume the natural language processing as well isn't up to snuff for languages outside the languages spoken by the majority of the world. So um, Twitter certainly has all this meta information that they can look at to make determinations, IP addresses, you know, uh, timed registrations, whether or not they're coming from a VPN, things like that. Um, But even in all of that, uh, looking at those accounts that contain those things, it's got to be just an absolute mess or near impossible to do um, programmatically. So uh, I can't imagine writing the feature sets for that and what it would look like. I think it's extremely difficult. Um, and yeah, probably the best that can happen is people reporting these things in chunks and then the Twitter employees can go through and map the network. Um, but, you know, I, I may be entirely wrong with that. There's a lot of wonderful machine learning people are doing with NLP stuff now. Great point. And I think this, you know, I'm just curious, relatively speaking, I know, Chad, you mentioned that you do feel that it's impactful to go through and, and delete these accounts. What, from a hoodie goodie rating perspective, which is that zero to 10, 10 being very, very bad and zero being fairly neutral or unimportant, um, and, and goodie is the, the better side of this, the shadow side of the hoodie rating, if you will, the happy shadow, maybe the sunlight of the hoodie shadow rating. So what, if you were to rate this, um, this decision by Twitter, what would that look like in your mind? 
So I would probably look at the incident and I'd say, you know, like probably five hoodies, you know, relatively bad considering these things do have an effect on society, especially if these accounts are allowed to grow and really amplify um, until they reach a, you know, a organic, I guess, uh, way of growing uh, once they've like, you know, caught on with a group of people, the Facebook groups and whatnot. Um, but then I would say what Twitter did here, you know, that's like eight goodies. So we're probably evening out, you know, after we do the math, it's like three goodies all around. Classic three goodies. And Tim, what would you, what would you say there for your rating? Well, I, I think eight goodies, actually, I tend to agree with, but I'm going to put the hoodies part of it higher because this misinformation has been so unbelievably harmful to democracy and the world in general. And, you know, when I mentioned this dystopia we're living in uh, a few minutes ago, well, this is a big part of why, right? So, uh, so I'm going to call it, uh, give me nine of each and it's going to just come out as a big goose egg. It's, it's neutral. Um, it's fantastic that these accounts were disabled. And what I really hope, of course, is that, and I've mentioned this before with some of these things, that this is a stepping stone to bigger actions because Twitter will get better at this. Uh, and uh, of course, the uh, misinformers will probably also get better at hiding the fact that they're fake accounts. But um, but I'm going to be optimistic about it and say that I hope this is leading to more of these kinds of actions. And so that's why I'm at nine goodies but my word the uh the disinformation and misinformation is really bad so so it's just uh it's a wash this time oh i can't even joke about what if misinformation being bad is just misinformation but that's not i mean that's too real can't even go there i think that's a really good point tim and chad thank you for for analyzing your last article for breaking badness can That's you still- true, though. The misinformation that misinformation is bad is misinformation. That's actually quite correct. That's well. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> it's just it happens not to be funny. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um- <laughs> is a misinformation song? Is that a diss track? Oh. Never mind. Ooh, Sorry. that works that was, on multiple levels terrible. because distracting from the truth and a distract list like kind of like a multi-layered pun there chadwick i'm uh taking the elevator up to the top floor so i can jump off in shame of that <laughs> oh all right well let's pivot over to our second article of the day which is ransom where purported extortion results in arrest so a former employee of ubiquity was arrested and charged last week with data theft and attempting to extort his employer while posing as a whistleblower and an anonymous hacker. So for starters, what is ubiquity, Tim? Well, first off, um, very deliberate pronunciation of the H in whistleblower. So uh, full marks for that. Cool. Whip. That's right. Well, you asked, what is ubiquity? These folks are in the networking business. They uh, may be best known to a lot of listeners uh, for their enterprise Wi-Fi gear, but they cover a lot of ground from full-on networking to IP cameras and other physical security products to VoIP phones, many of which are sort of emphasizing the wireless aspect of it. And uh, they've been around for years and they're a pretty major player in this area. A major player indeed. And 
what what was the official charge going back to this arrest from the U.S. Attorney General in the indictment? Sure. Yeah. So there are four counts in all. Uh, the first one is computer fraud and abuse, intentionally damaging protected computers. The second one is transmission of interstate communications with intent to extort. Then you got your wire fraud as the third count. And finally, you got your making false statements being the fourth. So the case um, that's laid out, it's worth reading this indictment. It's pretty comprehensive. Basically, uh, extortion as an insider uh, with stolen intellectual property as the bargaining chip. So he downloaded quite a bit of sensitive information. Uh, the charging document says it was gigabytes and then sent a ransom message in which he posed as an external hacker, uh, external attacker or hacker demanding 50 bitcoins for the return of the stolen data. Actually, it was broken down as 25 bitcoin for returning the stolen data and 25 more for him to disclose a, uh, a critical backdoor vulnerability. So uh, when Ubiquity refused to take the bait, uh, he did post an excerpt of the stolen data on Keybase, uh, which, by the way, Ubiquity was able to get taken down fairly quickly, but the story doesn't end there. So then what were the measures that Sharp took to cover their tracks? Sure. So there were multiple. So uh, he used his existing credentials uh, from Ubiquity to access a key that allowed for expanded credentials and access. And also took some of the other basic steps that you would uh, expect for remaining as anonymous as possible. So he set up a VPN, uh, in this case with Surfshark, to mask the address he was coming from when he copied the files that he was stealing. But he also spread out these activities over several days. Uh, this was all mainly going on in about a year ago, in December of 2020. Um, he grabbed that key that elevated his credentials on the 10th, and then... The big stuff really started on the 21st, uh, which is when he SSH'd into Ubiquity's GitHub and started grabbing the files. And those downloads continued until about the 26th, um, so around five days of that in all. And during that time, um, one of the things he also did was change the log retention policies in their AWS infrastructure to uh, one day to help cover his tracks. And... And so then he was part of the IR team because, you know, at first they didn't know he was the one, right? So he was part of the IR team when this incident was discovered, and naturally he played dumb during that time. However, there were a couple of problems for him uh, during this phase, and most importantly, his real home IP address was leaked a couple of times. At least one of those times was due to a temporary internet outage at Sharp's home, so these leaks were brief, but... They were enough. This reminds about, reminds me about what we talk about pretty frequently or what you say, Tim, which is it only takes one miss on the, the nefarious person's part for us as defenders to locate them. Because um, I know we talk quite frequently about the one vulnerability, the one unpatched item, the one enter thing here from a defender perspective. So it's kind of helpful to see that play out in the real, That's right. in the real world. That's right. That asymmetry can actually work both ways because it's so depressing to always think, wow, we have to get it right 100% of the time and, uh, uh, and they don't, but in some ways they do too. Indeed. And speaking of things not going right for Sharp, um, <laughs> what action was taken when Ubiquity received um, the ransom, no uh, ransom note from the uh, 
quote unquote threat actor or which yeah is, so yeah. well <laughs> essentially they, they said pound sand and good for them for doing that but there definitely was harm uh, to them as a result as we shall see so ubiquity discovered this breach on december 28th of 2020. And then in January 21, they announced it and they also fixed a backdoor at that point. Um, it's not actually clear to me whether that's the one that Sharp mentioned in the ransom note or a different one. Uh, but at any rate, um, that was, yeah, their initial response was, uh, no, we're not going to pay the ransom. And you you just referenced the the pain that ubiquity suffered through what was the full impact to our knowledge of this extortion attempt by sharp yeah so so their refusal to fork over the bitcoin which by the way would have amounted to around 1.9 million uh us at the exchange rates that were going on at that time this irritated young sharp so he posed as a whistleblower and went to the media, accusing Ubiquity of downplaying the importance of the incident. And as a result of the media attention, there were, there were a bunch of stories that ran back then. Some folks may remember this. Their stock fell by around 20%, which around, uh, amounted to around $4 billion in capitalization. So it's been a rough ride for Ubiquity. They haven't recovered in terms of the stock price. I checked it today as we were getting ready to record this, in fact, and it's a little lower than it was after that initial sell-off last year. So they have not bounced back as yet. May I request that when there's a decrease in capitalization, they call it lower casation? Just, you know. That sounds good to me. Okay. Yep. Um so there was a big lower casation big. for ubiquity mm -hmm. after this happened. Yes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, this really just demonstrates the uh, how big of a negative impact an insider threat can make, and this is something I know that comes up quite frequently in our in our space. We don't talk about this often enough, probably on our podcast. But how do you feel organizations can limit the risk of a similar fate? Yeah, this one is this is a tricky question to answer because there are several components to this, right? So uh, there's the question of what do you do about somebody's access? And there's the question of what do you do if you discover something in progress and how do you clean it up? And all of those have their places, but then it can go divergent in so many different ways. And so the fact that this guy decided to become a whistleblower after he was torqued off about not getting his ransom, um, you know, that's not going to happen every time. There's going to be different actions that the actors are going to take. But basically, so, um, but also one of the things that makes it hard to answer that question is I don't know exactly what level of access Sharp had versus how much he escalated his privileges uh, through the in the preparation phase of this thing. So I but I see a few places where potentially you could detect and thwart something like this. And so there was a lot of data exfiltrated. That's one of them. So, uh, you know, there are various technologies to help detect that in a in a shrink wrapper it's dlp right but there's there's a lot of different kinds of instrumentation you can put on critical files and accounts and um, egress points and so forth to detect data exfiltration so being able to alarm on these gigabytes of data that are going out to some unknown ip address it doesn't matter that at that point they 
whether they knew or not that it was Sharp's home IP, but seeing something go out to some unknown IP from their Git accounts is one place that potentially could have been uh, better instrumented. Um, it's also conceivable that stronger authentication through multi-factor or stronger public key infrastructure, PKI, for their authentication and authorization, it might have helped. But again, it's a little hard to say whether it would have made a difference in this case without having more information. And then another place is they could potentially have alarmed on those changes that he made to the log retention policy. So there are configuration change management uh, tools that can catch this kind of stuff. Uh, but even that is tricky because if you have enough access, you can then sort of go up the chain of controls to cover your tracks from each lower chain, right? So if you had access to the change management software, then maybe you can disable the alarm that's supposed to uh, alarm when somebody changes the log retention policy and so forth. So um, if you have, and, and then also from a configuration management standpoint, if you turn up the sensitivity on that, you are going to have a ton of noise from legitimate accounts. And this was a legitimate account or a series of legitimate accounts that are making configuration changes. So if the insider is smart about how they do things, it can be really tricky. Do you think it would be worth the effort for IR teams to implement or or change their alerting when there's privilege escalation so that Will Ferrell goes, well, that escalated quickly every time. Oh, they should play a little wave file of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Please tweet us if, <laughs> uh, if you know of that or if you have implemented it in your own environment. That would be fantastic. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Tim, thank you. That was an incredibly well thought out in response to what organizations can do. And to that extent, too, if any other folks that are listening in have um, wisdom they'd like to pass along to fellow listeners, please don't hesitate to at us. Um, and you should at Chad, but in a bitter way to make him feel bad about leaving the podcast. Yes, for leaving us, <laughs> abandoning us in our hour of need. <laughs> And Chad, we have so much love for you, to be clear. Um, that's why the the bitterness, the bitters that go with the drink that I'm mixing myself after this podcast in your honor. Uh, that's what you're hearing come through. But you have, you've given so much to this podcast and you make it so very fun. So you're going to have some big shoes to fill. And we're very sad to see you go. I mean, I am the insider threat, so it's probably <gasps> safest. Oh my God. Is that what IT actually stands for in your experience? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Got us good. The long con. If somebody pours strychnine into your mug of hot steaming apple drink, is that an insider threat? Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm -hmm. Tim, you might've gotten one of the most nuanced uh, Chad murmurs that I've ever heard on this podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll make a wave file of that too. Actually, Chad, you're still going to be on the podcast. We're just going to take the hours of footage we have and use some machine learning um, to scrape together. I mean, I think that's oh, not a bad Chad. idea. We can deep fake Chad through, throughout uh, future episodes. I have to have deep hit every Chad. syllable, like every phoneme in the English language by this point. So there's some sampling you can do and normalize <laughs> and just create a robo Chad. Robo Chad. <laughs> The E-Chad 5000. Yeah. <laughs> Our little clippy. <laughs>
Oh, it gosh. looks like you're trying to do a podcast. Would you like a sarcastic <laughs> co-host? Yes, select yes. Uh, but I skipped an important thing. I didn't. I didn't prompt us to do the hoodie rating here, um, which is the, the kind of thing Clippy would help me with. So I don't know where Clippy was at um, <laughs> during that. But uh, Tim, I'll start with you, and I'll ask uh, you to rate this particular arrest, this scenario, this threat. Yeah, insider threats are are a really bad one. I mean, if you if you are ubiquity, this has really hurt you a lot. So I'm going to put this at nine out of 10 hoodies. Um, and we know that this is going to happen again. This won't be the last time. It's going to happen to other organizations. And it's it's not necessarily a high risk to the average person out there as a user and as a as a private citizen, but it is a risk societally because it it's one of just another of the cascade of things that tend to degrade trust in institutions and organizations and so forth. So it's it's pretty bad. You heard it here first. Not good. Chad, what do you think about all this? Well, insider threats are like it has to be one of the biggest things facing an organization after you've solved the problem of, you know, just general best practices. Um, the insider threat is still uh, someone who knows how to hop all of those uh, restrictions in some cases. Um, anyways, uh, we've seen already with ransomware affiliate groups trying to pay people to allow them access into networks. In some cases, it's worked. Um you know, this is uh, another obvious example of how this can go down. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd rate this at like a eight out of ten, just because look at the monetary impact. Um, you know, a disgruntled employee can seriously harm your company uh, with just a couple hours of work, and so uh, it's it's worrisome. Um, and in this case, you know, Ubiquity uh, got hit, yeah, pretty hard by this. This was an interesting one because. A lot of the technical steps that he took were relatively sophisticated, but then he was like sort of emotionally incredibly unsophisticated mm -hmm. in his faux whistleblower campaign. And and that must have been, you know, ultimately his undoing. And so it it's if you had somebody who was more sophisticated on the second part of that equation, this potentially becomes even worse. Although having said that, the fake whistleblowing is what really caused most of the harm in that it got the media attention. So I don't yeah. know, it, it's, I guess that was the worst thing for them, but it was also the worst thing for him because that's probably how he ultimately ended up arrested. Some would say there's a lot of blowback from that decision. <laughs> was it sharp of him or not? Do you think every tone that this person took with folks felt sharp? He just, he couldn't sing in tune. That's what it really was. <laughs> so it was a little cold outside. Just a little sharp. All right. Well, I think in order to raise our spirits back up um, after discussing insider threat and Chad's new adventure, um, let's let's play our game Two Truths and a Lie. And as a quick reminder to those tuning in for the first time and have forgotten how this game works, um, every week one of us hosts uh, brings up three article titles, two of which are true, one of which is a lie. And the other two hosts try to suss that out. And of course, there's a point spread. Mm. And Chad, in a full circle way, is is up this week for Two Truths and a Lie to try to, to lie to his friends one last time. All right. 
Number one, Microsoft offers 50% off to software pirates stealing Microsoft Office. Number two, Nobelium's new C-loader downloader remains stealthy in attacks on U.S. government. And number three, Chad will be back next week for a recording of this podcast. I hope the third one's a lie. Wait, no, no, I hope the third one is true. Wait. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I've never been so sad to know the obvious answer. Yeah. Three points for everyone. I don't care about my points. Uh, Give the points. You can have all of our points together. But you got to tell us about Microsoft offering 50% off to pirates. Yeah, so it's pretty fun. They, uh, you know, they can spot who has a pirated license of Microsoft Office. So they're offering 50% off uh, 0365 subscriptions to people who come legit and join the great Microsoft family um, and pay them money and then get upcharged for basic security features. Uh, It's the wonderful Microsoft way. So they're they're essentially rewarding software piracy? Yeah, yeah. The trick is to be uh, really good at piracy, and then you usually get discounts on everything. It's kind of like the five-finger discount. Yeah. I'd highly recommend stealing software. It feels great, and like you really don't hurt anybody. <laughs> a victimless yeah. crime. You know, I think it gives pirates a bad rap. You know, they're they're the victims here. They have a hard time doing the five finger discount, at least with the that hand that doesn't have any fingers. <laughs> he took it there. He took it there. He hooked us in. But security patches, pirates. There's all there's there's something there. Well, Chad. Have to thank you. I can't. I don't know off the top of my head how many episodes you've been on on Breaking Badness, but I can say it's probably in the top two or three, folks. So thank you for making this podcast what it is. And in all seriousness, the Breaking Badness family will be cheering you on um, in your next adventure. We've been so lucky, hashtag blessed, to work with you on this. And we expect you'll be keeping a good touch, um, especially with all those backdoors that uh, Tim has implemented in your environment mm-hmm. so you can expect yeah, to hear from you. us it's always cobalt strike i only need <laughs> it in the greatest affection it's true we're gonna miss you buddy yeah farewell and to all a good night <laughs> <laughs> that's about all we have for this week you can find us on twitter at domain Pools. all of the articles and iocs mentioned today will be included in our blog post which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>